Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Culture. Today, we're going to be talking about the 1982 film Tron. The computer, an extension of the human intellect. The NCOM 511. Center of the most calculating intelligence on Earth. Programmed by Master Control to survive by all means. Soon, the ultimate tool will become the ultimate enemy. I still do not understand why you want to break into the system. Because, man, somewhere in one of these memories is the evidence. Hey, 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 it's the big master control program everybody's been talking about. Kevin Flynn, computer genius. So for those that don't know, Tron is a 1982 film made by Stephen Lisberger. It was written by Liz Berger and someone called Bonnie McBird. It stars Jeff Bridges, Bruce Boxleitner, like Boxleitner maybe, David Warner, Cindy Morgan and Bernard Hughes. Uh, Liz Berger apparently was a fan of the game Pong and wanted to make a fully animated film set within the computer world. So apparently they storyboarded the film, shopped it around, but no one was interested. Um, he'd already spent about $300,000 and he'd secured four to five million in private funding, but he'd hoped he could get more from computer companies, which unfortunately wasn't the case. He'd even had some shots already created, but Disney, uh, who are still on the table, was slightly unsure of giving this guy another 10 to 12 million to make this film, especially because it was using new techniques and he'd only made one film before this. So he made a 30 second test reel for Disney um, which is quite similar, actually, to what happens on screen. And it even has David Warner actually in it. And I'll put it in the show notes for anyone who wants to have a look. So it was decided that the film would be a mix of live animation, CGI and backlit animation. So for those that don't know, backlit animation is when essentially it's physically animated frame by frame onto the reel. And, you know, this was done before CGI became the go-to thing. Disney liked the 30 second piece and so yeah they were on board they decided to pick it up so they reworked the script a bit and um apparently when they came in uh, the production team when they came into the disney offices uh, the studios i should say they were given quite a chilly reception so they had to actually use an external animation company to help them make it which is mad if you think about it i mean imagine that you're <laughs> an animation company and someone from Disney's calling you up going, yeah, hi, we need you to <laughs> animate animate some stuff for us for a Disney film. Um, be unheard of. So it was filmed in 70mm Super Panasonic. Um, so it's a big old piece of film. So apart from the CG, it was actually filmed in 70mm Super Panasonic. 
so pretty big and uh, yeah it's pretty cool so it was put together visually by three designers Jean Joulard who's also known as uh, Mobius I think is his name M-O-E-B-I-U-S he's quite a cool artist and a cartoonist and he's also worked on things like Alien um, he helped set uh, he helped to design the set and costumes all the vehicles and stuff like that was designed by Sid Mead whose name you might recognise from working on Blade Runner and Aliens, and uh, Peter Lloyd, who designed the environments. Um, so that was a pretty cool visual team just right there in itself. So Disney used four different computer companies to help with the CG, and it became one of the first films to ever properly use computer graphics. Even, uh, even though there's only about 20 minutes of it in the whole film, it certainly made quite the impression on audiences. I forget, actually, when I watch the film, that it's not all set within the... Um, computer world uh, but that's the stuff that really sticks in your head it's um it's such a so impressive so because the computers couldn't actually animate instead each frame was produced individually and because there was no way to get them off the computer like we do now because everything was still film obviously they had to set up a camera in front of a screen to capture each frame uh so it was released july the 9th 1982 and was a moderate success. Critics loved the visuals, but the storyline was seen as rather weak and incoherent. Over time, it came to cult following, and it had numerous games made. Uh, the sequel, Tron Legacy, which we will do in the next episode, um, and it also had a pretty cool animated series called Tron Uprising, which I do suggest you check out. Um, I've seen the first series, actually, and I should do uh, an episode maybe dedicated to it, because I think it's pretty cool, and it takes place between original Tron and Tron Legacy and it's um yeah super cool so let's go through the film itself and see what actually happens so firstly you've got this cool title shot um lots of CG big Tron letters and we see Flynn's arcade and it's all happening big party pure 80s um and it's so cool I just love the whole aesthetic of Flynn's arcade it's ridiculous uh so there's this light cycle game being played and it's cutting to what's happening within the actual game um, so, you know, infamous light cycles, which are great. And David Warner is the bad guy and you see him and he's, he's in the game. I imagine is playing as the, um, AI as it were. So uh, the sound effects here are pretty great. Apparently it was, um, one of the first films to use Dolby stereo, I think. And that was a pretty big deal at the time. Um, anyway, uh, the guy, the nobody who's playing it loses, and the evil guy, uh, who's David Warner, um, he's in the game and he was the guy that was playing and we see him win and he's evil because he's red. So then we cut to inside a big CG ship where we see Master Control and he speaks to David Warner's character, his AI form, which is who's called Sark. So the MCP goes on about how he's acquiring uh, new programs and all this stuff and he's kidnapped military programs and which allows Sark to play more lethal matches. And Sark is like, yeah, sure, bring it on. I'm, I can do this. I can do whatever. I'm cool. Um, it's quite interesting because I'm not really sure what Sark's programming is, if that makes sense. Because the way it works is that the AI versions of themselves look like them. But he, but the master control program is, um, if you watch South Park, it's Moses. Uh, which is quite funny and um, obviously most of things ripped off of this but I thought it should look like David Warner shouldn't it because he's created the program so I'm not really sure what Sark's program actually does or maybe it doesn't do anything um, it's just a nice little to have program I think because the idea that he programmed the games or something might link into it not sure but still so anyway Sark is like yeah great bring on these military programs you know I'm, I'm up for the challenge whatever so and we see this like guy who's in blue, so you know, obviously immediately connects him to being a good guy. He gets pushed into this jail. He says he doesn't know what's happening. Meets another blue guy. They talk about the users who are essentially their gods. And this kind of comes in um, a bit later with how Flynn is seen as a Christ figure. And, you know, they have a conversation. There's a bit of exposition given here. They talk about master control, snapping up all the programs and then deleting them and um, basically eats up all your functions and gets bigger. And the ones that they don't like, they send down here to play the games, essentially some kind of like gladiator type 
deathmatch. Uh, one's called Chrome and the other Ram, which is quite funny because Ram's obviously not actually a program. <laughs> um, and yeah, Chrome is quite funny as well because obviously it's probably the most widely used <laughs> web browser um, made by Google, in case you didn't know. Um, but I like the idea that it's like defunct and <laughs> being sent down here um, to fight for its life. So yeah, um, they talk about... Uh, yeah, how you can't do anything these days without the master control being all over it. So there's this idea of like fascism, um, you know, dictatorship of sorts kind of going on here in this computer world, which weirdly just kind of exists in its own little ecosystem. So I kind of wanted to play um, this bit uh, and I'm just going to kind of talk through it if you see it. So it says, it's in the bit at the beginning of Tron and yeah, literally I have no idea what... What is, ha- what is actually happening here? So it opens out and there's, uh, and here we go. So it's Jeff Bridges on the computer. It says, meanwhile, in the real world, center screen, italic text, right? Okay, clue. Tonight we check and everything in the right-hand column. Yeah, and he's typing in... Come on, come on. Part code six password or whatever. Now we've cut. Yes, sir. Blue, we don't have much time left. We're, and we're in the, this is top priority. the video. Yes, sir, I know, sir. This isn't just correcting my bank statement or phone bill problem again. This is a must. I understand, sir. Now, I wrote you. Yes, sir. I taught you everything I know about the system. Thank you, sir, but I'm not sure. No that... buts, Clue. That's for users. Now, you're the best program that's ever been written. You're dogged and relentless, remember? Let me add him. That's the spirit. Now, keep that tank rolling, and I'll try to cover you from this end. Go. See, so talking to him, like... You know, like he's a military man, like he's on an operation. Also, it's it's AI, isn't it? It's not like a progress. So he's talking or is he typing? So this is what he's responding with on screen? I don't really understand. <laughs> What's going on? It's so weird. And it's not even... Why, it hasn't got Jeff Bridges' voice anymore either. That is clue, now capable of independent thought. Come on, you scuzzy data, be in there. Come on. So again, we come back to Jeff Bridges and he's typing, and he's not typing in a conversational Uh-oh. manner. We've got company. looking at he can't be looking at this visual representation surely he can't be so now what's he typing he's typing away what could he possibly be typing it doesn't make sense what is this so it crashes the tank is in crashes and he does a scream and Jeff Bridges is clearly upset. Get out of here! Crew escapes the tank from this bit. Who <laughs> says illegal code? Crew program detached from system. And that was my best program. What is he looking at? It doesn't und- it doesn't make any sense. Anyway, that's that. There's some trial within the computer world and Clue is like, oh, it must have been a mistake. It's tortured. And they're like, who's your user? Who's your user? I forget it. Clue says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you nothing. Um, it's like, well, you could just look at his face maybe, but whatever. So Clue gets derezzed. And uh, you hear Master Control go, get me Dillinger. He's the um, David Warner guy in the, in the real world. So we cut to a cool helicopter shop with the um, NCON logo on. It's all like these red LED strips. It looks fucking great. It's really 80s. And it's like, you know, it just looks like a computer thing, even though it's obviously the real world now. Um, 
So he's got a table and apparently the kind of screen was projected onto this glass. That's how they did it. Because you can still see some of these tables these days um, in certain parts or whatever where they've got the game underneath. It's quite interesting. So he says, um, tells Dillinger about Flynn and how he's looking for an old file. And Master Control uh, MCP says he has it in his memory program. So Dillinger's like, well, let's shut down access. And like, okay. So then we see Alan, who uh, we're now introduced to, is trying to get hold of his system, Tron. And he's trying to uh, get access and it's not letting him through. So he has to go to Dillinger. So he's in this massive sea of cubicles that kind of look similar to like jail cells, essentially. Um, which is quite an interesting visual uh, metaphor there. And it's just such a cool 80s set, these these offices and this big black desk in the middle. Um, Dillinger asks about the project. He says how he's working on a new security system called Tron that essentially supervises uh, communications between their system and other systems. And if there's anything untowards, it then shuts it down. He's like, I sent you a memo about it. And, and Dillinger's like, eh, yeah, sure, I read everything that comes through. So... He's like, oh, is it part of Master Control? And it's like, no, no, it runs independently. It will watchdog the NPC um, as well as, you know, whatever else it's talking to. So obviously this is not good for Dillinger and the MCP. Alan leaves and, yeah, it's quite interesting because it's like, you know, seeing, because it's dark outside as well and it's a dark table, these like dark reflections, like you know, Black Mirror, which is... Um, the Charlie Brooker TV show is called Black Mirror because it's about technology and how, like, when you look at your phone screen, you're looking into a black mirror, and it's kind of the same here. So the MCP's annoyed. He's like, I can't afford to have an outside system monitoring me, for God's sake. So you know, he's like, I've assimilated so many other systems. Nobody can find this out. And he starts getting all, like, freaked out. So Alan goes um, into this, like, laser room, essentially, where they're but de-resing or whatever. I don't know what you say, um, an orange. And... Yeah, they some kind of experiment, things fire up. We see this orange get zapped and apparently rebuilt. They're digitizing it, apparently. And the molecules remain suspended in this space or whatever and then come back, so they're not actually disappearing, apparently, whatever. Alan says that Tron was almost ready, but he thinks the MCP has um, done something to it. And um, he's like, oh, the MCP, there's tons of bugs and all this stuff. And this is him and his girlfriend, essentially. So they discuss how, um, this is quite weird, how they discuss how computers will soon uh, be capable of independent thinking. And obviously this is the MCP they're talking about. And the people will stop. And this old guy is just like, oh, no, you know, people control the machines. It doesn't work the other way around or whatever, which is quite interesting and plays into the whole thing of like, you know, technology, um, being scared of technology and what it can do. And that's how things like, you know, Terminator happened um, in terms of the idea of, you know, being scared of the future and having computers, you know, through this through the beginnings of the digital age, having so much power over stuff is quite scary to a modern civilization. And still is really, but obviously it's a bit more prominent here because nothing had been done on this level before. Um, so the uh, girlfriend says how... Um, Flynn wants to break into the system since he was thrown out. So they go visit him to warn him that Dillinger is onto him. Alan isn't a fan of Flynn, clearly, not just because it's obviously his girlfriend's ex, um, but he's like, oh, I don't know what you saw in him. And she's like, I loved him for his brain. So we get introduced to Flynn as this like hotshot young guy. So they go into the arcade, Flynn is playing his game. And it's very similar to the whole like tank thing with the flying what's-its from earlier. And, um, He's like sweating. He's got like sweat patches. Like it's a really like hardcore um, play session he's having. It's quite funny. And they go back to his uh, room upstairs and they're like, oh, he's the, you know, the best programmer that Encron ever saw. And, you know, oh, and you're here making games or whatever. So Laura says, um, you know, are you trying to get into the system? And they have a bit of a joke about the fact that they dated. And Flynn says, yeah, he's trying to break in. He says, that he basically invented this game called Space Paranoid um, in his spare time. And Dillinger stole the games and presented it as his own work. And that started his meteoric rise to become vice president of the company or whatever. Flynn's obviously annoyed. He thinks somewhere in the MCP is the evidence that he needs. And he's told that Dillinger knows what he's up to. So that's it. Dillinger and MCP are running things. And Alan says, oh, maybe Tron can help. 
So Flynn thinks if he can get inside the actual building, he can get access. Uh, so then we cut to how um, we see the old guy who's working in the later room and he's talking to Dillinger and he's annoyed that he can't get into the system and he says how machines serve the people, but Dillinger is behind you know, the MCP, you know, come on, you're in control of this. And he gives a bit of exposition about how they've, you know, they're part of security systems and military systems now and things like that. So, you know, playing into the whole thing for what they were talking about earlier. Dillinger is like, hey, I can always get rid of you, you know. And he's like, oh, you know, you say things like that, but our spirit is in that code. And Dillinger's like, don't get religious. So again, it's this whole thing of like, you know, creation and, and you know, having a soul, almost these programs, having a soul, having a part of you, having an identity that's connected to you. Quite interesting. Um, so meanwhile, this holy trinity and such, uh, Flynn, Alan and Laura break into Encon. Um, and, you know, Flynn's all cocky and smug. And uh, yeah, apparently this door that they go into, this huge, weird, expanding door, is something that actually exists. And they wrote it into the movie afterwards because it just takes so long to open up. Um, MCP says he's going to break into the Pentagon, tells Dillinger. Dillinger's like, what? Hey, that's that's too far. And MCP's like, corporations are boring. I don't want to do corporations anymore. So um, Dillinger's like, hey, you know, I control you. Don't remember that. And MCP is like, well, do you want me to send Flynn the evidence that he wants? Which is like, you know, what difference is it really going to make now? But still. So the Trinity uh, discuss how they're going to go and try and break in. And now there are even bigger stakes involved that our heroes aren't even aware of because now we see he's trying to get into the Pentagon and things are getting a little bit out of hand at the same time. So Flynn is fucking about doing whatever. Alan loads up his program. MCP is starting to order Dillinger about um, basically Ultron, <laughs> if you remember the Avengers. So Laura's like, this is my life's work. Don't mess anything up. Talk about the laser this is. Now Flynn is trying to break in. As he's trying to break in, the MCP starts talking to him. Um, and I like how you can hear him. I'm not really sure how, but um, yeah. He's like, remember the time we used to spend playing chess together? He's like, you know, stop, please. I can't allow this. Um, I'd like to go against you and see what you're made of and all this stuff. And Flynn's just completely, <laughs> completely ignoring him, really. It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Just a computer program. Um, and I like the way they've kind of made it so that they've got a little bit of history, um, which kind of accounts for what happens later where he's like, I don't want to, like, I don't want you to just kill him. I want you to, you know, I want him to be killed through the games, not just by pressing a button. But I don't, I don't understand that, but still. So he's like, I'm going to have to put you in the game grid. Um, And he gets sucked in by the laser and into the world, the electronic world as such. So you see this cool kind of 2001 kaleidoscopic sequence that was, I think that whole sequence was produced by literally one company and they spent all that time just making this one sequence, but it's cool. So now he's inside the computer and we see um, Sark talk to the MCP where he tells him, you know, you've got to kill this program, Sark, but he's a user. Sark's like, whoa, what? <laughs> MCP's like, yeah, I brought him here. And Sark's a bit nervous. He's like, a user, but users write us. They're like the gods or whatever. A user even wrote you. And MC likes, no one user wrote me. And he threatens Sark and he, he wants Flynn to die playing, uh, playing the games. Don't really understand that bit, but it's a nice, convenient um, part of the story to get things moving and stop <laughs> the easy part of just killing Flynn. So Flynn gets taken to like a, a prison and, you know, he's trying to find out where he is and it seems like he can't remember um, like what's happened or he can't remember being human. He's just kind of here. And they're like, oh, you're a guest of the Master Control program. They make you play video games. And Flynn's like, hey, no sweat. I'm great at video games. So that's what I'm a bit confused about. It's like, does he does he know he's good at computer games? Is he playing stupid? Is he playing dumb? Not really sure, but whatever. So they have a little chat and he basically immediately gets taken back out, which is quite funny. It's like, why put him there in the first place then? And they, a whole bunch of them get taken into this training procedure. Sark's there, talks to them, says how they're chosen to serve their system on the game grid and those who believe in the users will have substandard training so again it's kind of like a religious aspect to it um trying to get rid of all religion i believe really that you'll be like a sub 
species, you get sub-training, so you won't be as equally prepared if you believe in a god or something like that. But yeah, interesting. So he shows you your disc. He's like, you know, your disc is your identity. Lose it and you'll be derezzed. And then Flynn walks around and he sees Tron fighting. He's like, who's that guy? He's like, yeah, it's Tron. Look at him, he's so cool. He fights for the users. Um, and yeah, and he seems to be just really good at extreme frisbee. Um, apparently that's cool. It's cool in this world. And he says, oh, my name's Ram. And they talk about, he was like an actuaries program for an insurance company, helping them plan for future needs. So he feels like he's kind of like a good guy and he's doing you know, good stuff. Um, cause he's part of an insurance company, whatever. Uh, and yeah, so I don't know. He goes like, oh, I don't really remember too much. But it's weird. I don't know if he's just, if he understands he's been sucked to a computer or not. Um, so he gets immediately transported and told to fight one of his own uh, kind. So he gets taken to the battlefield and um, he's against the guy that we saw near the beginning. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And here we get this like marching drum roll music, and Flynn actually almost loses. And the guys in prison have their own little chat. And they're like, oh, I don't know, something, something different about that Flynn. I don't know what it is. And uh, they have those weird curved throwing things. Um, you'll see, uh, and the floor kind of disappears when the ball hits it. So his opponent slowly falls and Flynn gets annoyed and Sark is like, finish the game. He's like, no, I won't do it. Um, so he refuses and Sark just does it anyway. And he's about to kill Flynn, but then remembers the MCP saying, I want to see him die in the games, die playing, die playing with himself. Um, so Flynn says, Alan, and he runs into Tron and he's like, I'm not Alan, I'm Tron, but Alan is the name of my user. And now Flynn's like, oh, I'm remembering all kinds of stuff. My user wants me to go after the MCP. And Tron is like, my user wants that too. Flynn's like, I know. So like, oh, wow, pretty cool, right? So now we're going to have to go fight the, the big bad guy. So now they get onto the light cycle and this is great. So the bikes emerge in a really cool way kind of just appear when they hold out their sticks and they race. Um, and yeah, they someone crashes um, into this wall. And this is where all this stuff kind of gets strange. Crashes to the wall, now there's this gap in the wall. Um, and the way they do it, it just feels really fast. It looks, even though like you look back at it, it looks dated. I don't think it looks dated as much. It just looks super stylized. And I just think the way that they've done it and how they make it feel so fast and there's like, hard corners as ridiculous as they are um it just i think it still stands up to to today to be honest i think it looks great but that's just me so Flynn goes into the hole in the wall now and he invites all the others to come uh they make the other enemies crash and then they're off so i'm not really sure what the person who's supposed to be playing this is is actually seeing it's quite funny so now the weird clamp thing is trying to stop them getting out of the um, room but it's too late. So they get through and the other security systems are after them. 
Tar Quantum apprehended, and uh, yeah, but they there's this big like chase scene, and the, there's tanks, and they're cycling around these like kind of mountains, um, and they come out of the bikes, and they're in this like crystal like place. The tanks are looking for them. Sark's super annoyed. And, uh, yeah, Flynn says how they need to take the MCP out. Tron says that they need his user, um, Alan, obviously. So they need to get to the input-output tower and communicate, which is like a church, let's say, somewhere where you can communicate with God. Um, So they find some kind of water, which seems to charge them. I'm guessing that's electricity of some sorts. And they bike there, but the tank sees them and fires and they're separated. Tron thinks the others have died and he races away angrily to get to the input-output place. But Flynn and the other guy, Ram, are alive. Tanks think they're dead, so they just keep going, go past them. Flynn carries Ram and meanwhile Tron just keeps going. So Flynn lets Ram rest, they fall asleep. I don't really know why they fall asleep, they don't need to, but still. Um, So Flynn wakes up in whatever machine they're in and he's got and he finds out he's got some kind of like divine power. He can kind of he's like Neo basically, he can kind of control shit. So he rebuilds this clamp thing almost completely. And um Flynn then realizes that he's a user. Ram unfortunately falls and he dies and he asks Flynn to help Tron as his last dying breath. So Flynn flies this clamp thing that he's now put under his control, but it just doesn't fly straight. And Tron and is it Gordy, Gordy, me, uh, which is essentially uh, Laura. And um, she was like, oh, yeah, I knew you'd escape and you know, we'll, let's work together and et cetera, et cetera. So um, they're now going to try and get to this input output thing. So Flynn uh, sees that little destiny helper thing pop up um, and apparently it speaks binary. So it's like, yes or no. She's like, oh, you're a bit. I still don't really understand if that's, a, you know, how that's supposed to work, but still it's quite cute. So now we're in some other weird place and you see like these strange looking things and characters and they all look very interesting. And this is part of John that I would have liked to have seen more of this kind of culture and all the different other programs and stuff. Um, I mean, it's quite a tight film anyway, but I was like, this is quite interesting. Um, everyone looks a bit weird and they do kind of play up to it a little bit more in Tron Legacy, but um, yeah, I quite liked it. So you see... Flynn trying to fly this thing. It's not doing very well. And um, he crashes it, basically. He kind of skids and it's all coming apart bit at a time. And no one seems to care. <laughs> um, and it's quite funny. So, uh, yeah, there's all these like, sexy-looking programs just walking around. It's quite cool. Um, he sees a bad guy. Flynn takes out one of them and he kind of copies their colouring by touching them. So he's now like going undercover and all this bit is a little bit bloated, but still, um, so Tron and, uh, Laura, um, basically Laura's program break in somewhere, climb up some wires and they see that the old guy from before, who's sitting there like some wise old man. Um, and he hates the tower and says, he, you know, Oh, they'd, they close it down if they care, but they keep me here in case anyone wants to deal with the other world. Um, and Tron's like, hey, he can make it a free system again. You know, we can save the world. And so some kind of prayer is given and Tron is allowed to pass. So Sark knows that Tron is there and he brings in some launching probe, which is essentially like a battering ram. Tron goes in and um, in this kind of like very religious type ceremony, this kind of like Ten Commandments thing almost, puts his disc up, disc up goes up into the sky. Essentially he's talking to Alan. Um, you know, he's got this special thing on his disc that'll help him defeat the MCP. So uh, this code disc essentially is, means freedom, apparently. Tron and Laura run off, uh, like, hurry, the user's waiting. Um, Sark breaks in, he's like, oh, where are they? He gets angry, Takes the, they take the old man away. Tron and Laura get some transport thing <laughs> to the MCP, and Tron takes on um, a couple of the evil guys, uh, one just jumps off, which is quite funny. He doesn't even bother trying to fight. Um, Sark chases them, but they they get away, and the ship follows. And it's a it's a really cool shot actually of them kind of zipping away in this um, uh, solar sailor thing, whatever it's called. Uh, so the MCP talks to Sark. It's not happy, obviously. Um, 
Tron uh, helps Flynn up because Flynn's on the same ship as them now. He becomes blue again. It's a bit of a weird way to get him there, but still, they're, they're now all together. Um, he says how Ram didn't make it idea. Everyone's like, that's oh, a shame. Flynn then sees Laura's program and he's like, oh, Laura. And Tron's a bit funny, like, what's going on here? Much like in the real in the real world. Um, Flynn admits that he's a user and... Yeah, you kind of get a bit of a reflection of this love triangle that's obviously going on upstairs in the real world as well. So the Guardian, uh, who's the old guy um, from the Input Output Tower, basically getting tortured by the looks of it. And there's these little green things that come alive. I don't really know what they are. Anyway, um, so yeah, they talk about how the MCP was a chess program and all this stuff, whatever. Um, Flintron, etc. they all get attacked. Flynn is able to create a junction and they go another way. And basically Flynn gets knackered. <laughs> He's kind of tired now. Uh, it's like, oh, is he derezzing? It's like, no, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell you why not. Um, so, yeah, they talk about how, like, oh, God, it's like physics. In physics, a beam of energy can, all, can always be diverted. Whatever, they, they're just trying to get from A to B. So um, they crash into the bad guy's ship. Like, oh, Tron's Tron's dead. Oh, no. And Flynn and Laura are imprisoned. So apparently they've taken the old man to this holy pit. And once MCP is done with him, they'll be derezzed. Tron isn't here. Everyone thinks he's dead. Um, but he's still on the ship somehow. So Tron's on his way to the centre of it all. So the, the ship that they're on, uh, Flynn, etc., is slowly getting derezzed. Um, much quicker than it is when we cut to them actually still on the ship, but still. And yeah, it's such a, it's one of those classic like James Bond style like death traps that they can just easily get a hold. It's like, just kill them. The girl, Laura faints. She's all like really weak. Flynn saves her like, oh, you saved my life. Whatever. Meanwhile, Tron is getting closer to the MCP. And this like, yeah, the MCP thing is quite scary actually. So they're, the Guardian and all these other people like up against the wall and they're kind of getting spun around, I think. Tron and Sark fight. And um, yeah, so they have this little match and Tron's disc kind of smashes through Sark's one and it cuts his head open. Um, and that's pretty cool. And all these like, bits fall out. MCP puts himself into Sark and he's got this like weird candy falling from his brain. It's pretty cool. Um, so Tron gets, uh, is starting to attack the computer. Um, MCP Sark gets back up, um, and Tron sees an opening, but now Sark is like massive and, you know, it's, it's quite dangerous. <laughs> um, Flynn is like, oh, I'm going to jump into the beam. And Laura's like, hey, you'll be derezzed. And he's like, don't worry. And they have like a final moment and kiss. And basically he sacrifices himself. He jumps in. Um, the Moses face turns blue, the MCP, and Tron can attack in this little opening. Um, Sark is defeated, he kills Sark, whatever. And, yeah, throws in um, this disc, kills the MCP. They did it, hurrah. And, you know, Tron and Laura are just like, oh, Flynn sacrificed himself to distract uh, the MCP so you, you could kill him. Like, oh, great work, Flynn. You killed yourself. Um, so then Flynn is printed back into reality. He's now got the evidence he needs. He doesn't seem to realise what's happened or he's completely cool with what just did. Um, Dillinger comes into the office and sees the evidence file, realises his time is up. And then a helicopter arrives. Flynn is in a suit and he gets out. And it's like, you know, who says he was right for business or whatever? And then you see the cityscape turn to like dark and the lights come up and now it looks like a little circuit board, which is pretty cool. And then the credits and the end. So it's weird because it's a lot shorter than I remember and it's quite intense. Um, it feels like it doesn't really stop, but it's a weird way to end the movie. Like it really does, you know, from when they get to like the final boss, I should say. Um, but that's, that is what it is to like the actual end. It's really quick, like... There's no, you don't really get a chance to kind of sit and reflect on anything. Um, yeah, like I don't even know, does he even know what happened to him in there? It's strange. Uh, yeah. 
So overall, I really liked it. I still think it stands up to today. I think style-wise, it looks cool. I love the way they've done it. The different kinds of animation. I love the CG. I love the fact that it was like filmed in black and white and all this stuff and the colour was added to it and all that. I think it looks great. I love the music. I think it works quite well. Um, And we'll kind of come on to that a little bit more a bit later. But uh, yeah, even the poster, I mean, the poster looks very much like, you know, the Star Wars thing of holding the lightsaber in the air. And, you know, that's on purpose. Um, And, you know, you could kind of say it's almost like the same kind of film, like Luke is Tron, Han is maybe Flynn. Um, You know, there's like a Darth Vader type character, David Warner. Um, you know, he has to take a shot. It's like a one in a billion chance kid kind of thing to get it through. Um, yeah, so you, you know, I don't think you'd be amiss to making that comparison. The game that they seem to play at the beginning with the curved disc is like Jialai, I think it's called, which actually exists. Um, obviously not in that way, but yeah, it's worth looking into. Um, yeah, and because there were so few of these um, 70 mil, well, some say 65, some say 70, I think 70 mil cameras that were available at the time, a lot of the flaws um, in the equipment would have to be like worked around. So the commentators, um, when you listen to the um, commentary track on the film, they talk about finding sand from Lawrence of Arabia in the equipment. Um, And one of the viewfinders at one point was broken, which meant the cameraman, had to point a shoot without actually being sure of what was what was in the frame. Um, and apparently they did approach Peter O'Toole to play Dillinger, but O'Toole wanted to play Tron, which is strange. And during a meeting with Lisberg at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel, O'Toole apparently jumped on the furniture and declared, I can do this. And he claimed that he wanted Tron on his tombstone right next to Lawrence of Arabia, which is mad when you think about it. Um, so weird. So... Rather than using the standard blue or green screens that we're now, you know, it's much more common use today, the actors were actually shot against an all-black stage and light and colour were added later in post-production. Apparently, Debbie Harry was almost in it. She almost played the role of Laura. And, yeah, it's interesting because you didn't really see many movies with an electronic soundtrack before Tron. Um, There was uh, a few exceptions. And the composer, Wendy Carlos, her name is, actually wrote the score for... Clockwork Orange and The Shining uh, before writing music for Trump. Um, so quite a pretty decent body of work there. Uh, and she worked with her composing partner, Anne-Marie Franklin, to create the film's unique sounds using a Moog synthesizer. And I, th- I think I've pronounced that wrong, actually. I think there's a way that you actually supposed to pronounce it, but I can't remember what it is. And a GDS electronic synthesizer from Cromar. Um, so, yeah, Disney apparently insisted on adding some strings from the London Philharmonic so the score wouldn't become too arcane. Unfortunately, many people didn't hear the complete score from Wendy Carlos until re-release on CD a few years later. John Lasseter has gone on uh, record from Pixar, by the way, um, over the years, claiming that if it wasn't for Tron, then computer animation wouldn't advance to where it is now at Disney specifically as well. And, yeah, I mean, my personal relationship with this film, I remember going to the video shop, mental shop in Sutton, near where I used to live, and... It would be my go-to pick if there was nothing new that I wanted to watch. I was obsessed with Tron and I loved computer games and the idea of going into a computer and all this. So I must have watched it hundreds of times in my youth. And then, yeah, I haven't seen it recently. Um, I mean, I saw it for this, but before that, I haven't watched it in seven years, probably something like that. And yeah, I do quite like it. I can see how the story doesn't really match up. Um, to what I probably thought of at the time. But for me, it was just more the visual spectacle, which is why a lot of people go to these kind of films now, um, these days, for the visual spectacle. Uh, So, yeah, Tron was the first film to rely on digital special effects, really. It was a technique so innovative at the time that the Academy refused to give it an Oscar nomination because it said digital techniques were tantamount to cheating, if you could believe that. Um, there are religious undertones, as I said before. There's the um, Christ reference, you know, Flynn as Christ sacrificing himself, etc. Um, and the users as God, you know, that has created them, created this world. Uh, there's an element of Buddhism to it as well, and that comes on a little bit more in Tron Legacy as well. Um, and also, you know, Tron is 
essentially fighting for the gods, um, perhaps humanity himself, the pure and the good. So, um, yeah, Flynn being the Jesus figure is a man who sacrifices himself for the good of the good of mankind. Then the idea they all look like their users is the same thing as you know God creating man in his own image, and you know the MCP. What, what's it trying to do really? Is is basically a thirst for knowledge. It's requiring more and more knowledge. It's absorbing more and more systems. So you could say it's like the tree and you know the fruit in the Garden of Eden. Um, yeah, and that's that's kind of it. I mean, the reason why it's called Tron as well is apparently it's short but electronic. So yeah, it's a few little um, tidbits for you there. Uh, I would say that in terms of this film and Tron Legacy, I'll talk about Tron Legacy. Um, on the next episode but for me I think it's still a pretty strong film and I do think even though it's one of the first films to use CG it's done it in such a stylistic way that I think it still holds a person's interest when they see it Um, I think I was unsure on whether I would actually stay entertained throughout the whole film but I think everything happens so fast that you can't help but just stay with it whilst you're on this roller coaster ride. And there are a few things that don't make sense, but overall, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think Jeff Bridges gives a kind of classic, um, dedicated performance, and the rest of the guys aren't too bad either. David Warner's always good. Um, I think it, you know, it looks pretty great, and it did well for Disney. I think it's still, you know, the fact that they made a sequel to it, and all right, they haven't made a third, um, just shows just what kind of cult following that it had. And I like the idea that, you know, you can go into a computer and there's this whole world there and that, you know, programs, that there's a personification of the, you know, the programs and all this stuff. And the idea, I mean, it's essentially like an avatar almost, isn't it? Like you're playing in this world um, where, you know, things don't have sentient feelings or anything like that, but you're still investing that little bit of soul into them and they're reflective of you. So it's all quite interesting and I think it's a pretty bold step for everyone involved, including Disney, to make. And it's a shame that there's not more films like this that are made um, out there where people do kind of take those leaps and bounds um, into unknown areas. And even if it doesn't you know, come off, it's still worth a try and they can get a cult following like they do today. Another great review comes from uh, Mr Hans Niami, who says, Predicts the future and I watched this film in 1982, and again in 2018, exactly 36 years ago, and everything that is happening today in technology is shown in this film. If you, <laughs> everything. Um, if you really want to see how AI will work, watch this film. It's not about AI. <laughs> it's about it's about immersive gaming between two worlds: the real world and digital world. Great movie, Hans. Uh, well, thank, thanks, Hans. Um, I love that. You know, it's, it's, if you really want to see how AI will work, but it's not about AI, it's about immersive gaming. Um, and I like the fact that the digital world is just, you know, immersive, having its own immersive gaming with the real world. Here's some other um, tidbits of information. Although the film was an initial failure, the arcade video games based on it uh, were apparently a huge success and actually outgrossed the film. And uh, another one is that Jeff Bridges, apparently when they put his costume on, (laughs) had so much junk. He had so much bulge in the crotch area when he was in his computer outfit, he had to wear a dance belt to conceal it. Now... There's a couple of issues there for this. Firstly, I love I love that it's a story. But also, um, what's a dance belt? I mean, I, I like the idea that he has like a, a Tron dong, you know, that, as if it's like the porn version of Tron dong. Um, maybe it's like Pong, but with two erect penises and a testicle in the middle. But I've never heard of a dance belt before. What the hell is a dance belt? And how does it help improve your dancing, if that's what it's actually made for. Um, And apparently due to the poor return at the box office and also because of The Black Hole, another Disney film, 
Disney Studios did not make another live subject film for 10 years. And um, I think what's quite funny as well, apparently it was released in the summer of 82 and because it did so badly, it uh, was re-released in February 83 as if it was a new film again. I don't think you could get away with that these days, especially with a Disney film. And uh, yeah, it did even worse, apparently. Well, you know, of course it did. You've just released the same film twice within like eight months or whatever it is. Um, yeah, so some weird facts there. And also I think it's worth watching before we talk about Tron Legacy as well, um, which I am really looking forward to. So anyway, guys, um, that is Tron, 1982 Tron. Um, if you've got any comments, obviously let me know. Cheers, bye. It's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.